Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your host, Ben Husong, and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your host, Ben Husong, and me, Sean Hannon. Uh, I think we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, episode four of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. I am Sean Hannon, joined again by Ben Husong, who is uh, here promptly at a uh, little before noon today. Thank you very much, Mr. Uh, Husong, for You're welcome. Us. You're all welcome. How, how was your weekend? My weekend was terrific. Uh, got to spend some good time with the kids, play a little golf, do work around the house. I am the epitome of, like, the suburban house dad at this point in my oh. life, but it's a lifestyle that suits me very well. Well... I mean, if the shoe fits, I guess. I, listen, I got I, no complaints about I it. Got, I got my first eagle on Monday. Congratulations. It was a majestic sandwich, 77 yards, landed prettily on the uh, green, rolled in, disappeared. That's no joke. Yeah. That's a, that's a heck of a it was shot. Legit. Um, but as we always do, let's start with uh, sports and let's start with real golf. Uh, a return to the winner's circle for Dustin Johnson, his 13th season in a row with a win, I believe. Uh, kind of beat a bunch of... It was a birdie fest for the tournament in general, but I feel like it was more his to lose than anybody else's to win. But uh, he did get that win and secured his victory. Can't take anything away from him. Nope. There were some names in the field that are worth beating. and Oh, the field was loaded. They right. just didn't compete. So good right. on him. Um, and he got the job done. He got it done down the line. He has been playing some very good golf. It's uh, I'm very impressed by the consistency over time. He's, he's definitely getting back to form. I mean, there was a time... Right before he slipped at the Masters there, where I didn't think he could lose again. Um, <laughs> he kind of <laughs> bottomed out a little bit after that and has uh, seemingly gained some form. So good another win for Dustin Johnson. Um, next week we go to Detroit, Michigan, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. So uh, a lot of Ricky Fowler commercials probably going to be in your future here, I'm guessing. <laughs> One or two. I guess. One or two. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Um we also had some other sports news. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before oh, yeah. we jump to that, sure. people want to know, how'd you do this week on fantasy golf? Did you uh, make money? I did okay. My main lineup did not cash. I cashed two of three lineups for $415. I'll take right. it. Um, again, Morikawa has cost me again. This, this week, he missed a cut, not missed a putt. <laughs> so, um, At some point, but you may have to cut ties. Maybe. I don't know. The dude's too good. So we'll see. Right. Um, on on to the Rocket Mortgage next week. I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll hope for better results this team um so we got a, a at least a start date and a season game schedule for the major league baseball uh january or june july 23rd i believe july 23rd yeah. so we're going to get 60 games so says the commissioner um i do want to see i think there's going to be a little bit of a backdrop of how many players are sick and don't play or for whatever reason they don't play um but at least we're going to have a season we're going to have baseball we're going to have it next month and we're going to have an expanded playoff which um, I think we both agree that playoff baseball is better than regular season baseball even though obviously a 60 game regular season makes all those 60 games significantly more, more important so uh, maybe we'll get even a just a, a better brand of uh, sport all season long I guess so um, we'll see I know they're still trying to enforce all these crazy you know no, no licking your fingers rules on baseball, which I just can't see how that's ever going to be done and who's going to enforce that and what's the I, whatever. So give them uh, points for trying, though. I no, mean, I mean listen, whatever. You know, you can't spread the vid. So, um, listen, other kind I'm of, excited about it. No, I, I am. I just it's it's still mind boggling to me how badly they bungled this entire process. The fact that we are not going to have baseball on July fourth is just a lesson in short sightedness by both sides. Of you literally could have had the run of the sports, sports world, sports talk radio, ESPN coverage for a month. And instead you decided you wanted to get into a collective bargaining pissing match where nobody wins and both sides look bad. And if anything, you probably turn more people off. And now you're going to go into this and you're going to have a very compressed time frame where you can actually have it free before the NBA comes in and steps on your toes. Yeah, it's... Clearly not ideal, and 
there's no doubt in my mind that the collective bargaining agreement just basically started, you know, eight months early. So they, they went, and, you know, it's up next year. Right. They basically just started early. So we'll see what happens. I'll watch for as long as it's entertaining, and hopefully it's a little bit more entertaining than most seasons. We did get a bit of NFL news. That's right. Kind of affects your hometown Buffalo Bills a little bit. It does. Uh, it does. Cam Newton signed by the New England Patriots. Yes. Uh, one, one year deal, I think. So one year deal. And pr- prove it or prove it or lose it, I guess. Uh, listen, it, apparently there was only two teams that even contacted uh, Cam Newton. It was the Patriots and it was the Browns. That's it. Those are the only two teams that held discussions with him or brought him in or anything. And the Patriots were the only one to offer him any sort of a deal. Uh, in full disclosure, I despise the New England Patriots to the very bottom of my core. I've been a Bills fan forever, and, and I absolutely hate that team. Uh, so uh, objectivity may not be my strong suit in this, but I'm going to say this anyway. I don't see this going well. Yeah, I mean, he didn't look all that good. I will throw out the wild cards of the Corey Dillons, Randy Mosses of the world, where seemingly a new environment does kind of invigorate uh, one's uh, maybe end of their careers-ish. Sure. Um, so maybe a new surrounding and some, you know, I don't know, better coaching is the right thing, but different coaching or whatnot, maybe maybe it works. I don't know. Interesting, though. Um, well, I think there's we, a couple th- of factors that go into it's not going to work. In my, I think that's where the smart money lies right now. Obviously, anything can happen, and it could work. But uh, Cam Newton's style has always been he's a bruising, punishing runner, and he's very agile and very fast. He is now in his 30s, and the younger guys are faster, they're stronger, and that takes a toll on your body when you take the hits that he's taken. And running was always a very important part of his game that now is a much higher risk activity. So you have to try to get him away from that or else you risk injury pretty at too high yeah. of an acceptable no, level. No, he, he definitely plays, you know, or has played in the past, at least a style that doesn't seem to be conducive as you get older. So Right. Um, and it's the, the New England offense, assuming they stick with Josh McDaniels, quick hits, high accuracy. None of those things are Cam Newton's strong No, sense. accuracy are definitely not his, not his thing, for sure. No, but, um, yeah, what is, is he going to be hitting Julian Edelman on a fly route? Like yeah. what's, what, like I don't I said, see how this his, comes together. His, his offensive surrounding pieces are not that great either. So, like, I, you know. It'll have to be a a run first uh, team. I don't think they're going to rely on Cam Newton' arm as good as it was. It's not unless again unless they overhaul their offense. We'll see. That being said, I have learned through fifteen years of absolute misery as a Bills fan. Don't ever bet against the Patriots. It's a terrible idea. Um, that's the sound a, of a defeated so, person, right? Silver there. lining though, it makes me think that they're definitely going to play. I don't know. There's a signing. You know, I mean, I kind of thought that all along, but I was like, eh, that, you know, that's good. I think it's. It's nothing but forward momentum. I would be shocked if the NFL does not play in the fall yeah. because you even saw it when uh, Dr. Fauci came out last week and basically said, I'm not sure that football can happen. And then the doctors that represent both the league and the Players Association came out and basically said, thanks for the advice, go away. I, at that point, the NFL is uh, they're in a prime position and they're not going to lose this opportunity. There's talk about they're going to – restrict seating in the lower levels and turn it into advertising to make up for any lost revenue from uh, from reduced attendance. So, listen, give the, give the credit where it's due. As much as I will rag on the Major League Baseball and the Players Union for never figuring out a good way to do anything, the NFL is well-run. You can hate Roger Goodell. You can hate the owners, hate the players, hate whomever. It's a well-run league, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the money they make, the attendance they get, the fans they have – Every Sunday in the fall is football for 70% of the country. I mean, they, they have a product that people want. Yeah, I can't imagine. Right. You know, just the, just playing on TV is is profitable enough, even without the fans. So they'll figure it out. But I don't think they'll do I think they'll go full bore as best they can anyway. We'll see what happens. I agree. And um, they're, they're, go ahead. I, I am more interested in if college football comes back. Um, yep. What's your thoughts? Mo- I, I think they do, again, because – for the same underlying reason that the NFL is coming back is there's too much money to lose. Um, so it may be competing best practices between those to college football and NFL and kind of see what works best in certain situations. I could see, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if being amateur makes them or makes the NCA or whoever seem to be, they must be more protective of the players. So maybe there's more safeguards in the college game even though maybe the 
I mean, I don't think either group of players is necessarily a high risk player uh, group of getting the disease or, or suffering from the disease. But um, I don't know. It's I, I think they'll play again for the same reason. There's too much money to lose. Um, but I think there will be different ways to go about it between the NFL and, and the NCAA for sure. I think you're right. I would just add on. There's too much money to lose. There's also too little risk to take on when you when you start diving into the numbers and, and you hit on it of if you're a college athlete, the threat that this virus poses to you is so minimal that it's uh, it's almost not there. It's it's almost not present. So if you're going to shut down the season for the and also these kids that play college football on scholarships and everything else, it's not like the NFL where you can come back in a year and try again. Like you're on a you're on a tight time frame, right. and most of these kids are not going to the pros. This no. is the end of their football career as they go through college football. So that's where everything becomes a risk assessment, a cost benefit analysis. And in my opinion, if I'm doing the math, obviously there's a threat to some of the older coaches and everything else. Which okay give them the autonomy and the authority to step back or stay in the box or stay away from practices, sit it out, whatever you got to do. But to shut down the entire season, I'm pretty confident if you polled all the football players that play in NCAA football, you'd get an overwhelming response of let us play. Could be wrong. Yeah, Yeah. no, you're probably right. I I expect them to play. I expect college to play. Um, But we'll see. Who knows? I don't don't pull those strings. Also, Florida – I'm telling you what, now that they've passed that rule, Florida has uh, passed a rule that any athlete in college cannot be prohibited from profiting off of their likeness. So there's been a rule forever in the NCAA that says if, you, uh, if you're a famous Johnny Manziel-level football player and you want to go make an appearance somewhere and sign a bunch of pictures of yourself, you are not allowed to make any money by doing that. Florida is revoking the rule. I am a huge proponent of that decision. I think that it's never made sense to me. Look at if you're famous enough because you're doing all this and people want to pay you to show up places and sign things. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally for that too. I didn't hear that, but that's I'm for that. I wonder how the NCAs can push back on that because I'm guessing other states will follow. I hope so. Because listen, I I actually am. God, I don't want to go. I don't want to go into this can of worms. I am not in favor of paying college athletes because I think the the mathematics will not work out, and you're going to end up costing too much money to programs that don't draw the attendance. Title IX under the uh, U.S. Code that protects all of these other sports, but the reality is men's football is going to bring in way more money and revenue than women's basketball, but the football program funds the basketball programs yeah. at a lot of these schools. No, absolutely. So if you start paying them, and I, I don't see any way that the other programs don't suffer. And that's where I say, okay, look, you're getting a free college education. You're getting all this other stuff. Yes, you're making money for the school. I, I'm in total agreement, and that's fine. But you're also not uh, doing without as a D1 college athlete. Yeah. So that I, I see, I see. but I've never understood. Look, if, if you're famous and you can't go and do that, that's not right. Yeah. You should be able to go and make money off your likeness and do whatever you want because that's, that's your person. I believe in all that. You're in um, agreement? Yeah. No, like I said, I you know I I've long thought that the Johnny Man- Johnny Manziel's of the world should be able to sell their autograph for whatever they want to sell it for if somebody wants to pay them for it. So, um, regardless of their amateur status, I I think I agree with the math doesn't work for paying every athlete in college. Um, How do you do you it can, fairly? You can right, and you can somewhat offset that by allowing the individual players to, you know. I'm guessing not all just the best players would be able to monetize themselves. I'm sure somebody with some crazy name or some crazy, you know, side thing could make money on themselves too. Um, maybe not through football, but whatever, as a vehicle. So, yeah, I let the individual players and athletes be able to monetize their likeness and whatever else that comes along with, with that, their autograph and whatnot, pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't see how the – I mean, I guess if a school wanted to do it, I mean, if Alabama wanted to play their football players – have at it um you're asking right i just don't see i just don't see how that that ends up working out for everybody and even the kids that can't sell their likeness okay i'm sorry but sure right fairness of result is not what we're going for i've always said fairness of opportunity and if you're a famous college football player and people want to pay for your autograph you should be able to sell that that doesn't mean i should be forced to get the second string kicker signature for twenty dollars like i i don't think i want that Maybe on they have second string kickers. <laughs> I'm just saying. So Could just let that one slide, huh? Real quick before we go into the main topic of the uh, discussion, the 
all New York and COVID all stuff oh, all day, all the time. Um, local legend Benny Mardonis died today. It's a sad day. Jeffrey Epstein sad. That's probably one of his theme songs. I'm sure it was in his iPod. What do you think? No? I think it was. For those of you that don't know, there's a... You just look up the song. What's the I name of the play song, it. Sean? Uh, Into the Night. And what's the Jeffrey Epstein? Oh, here we go. Hopefully this doesn't get us banned off of YouTube and all the others for Facebook or whatnot. But you guys know this one, right? It's okay. All right, let's turn the page. I mean, it's not okay, but... But he is he is a local legend. He did I die today. It. I think 73 I saw. Um, he had not been doing well. He had been under the weather for a few uh, a few years now. Um, so, RIP Benny Mardonis. That's a sad day. So let's move into... You guys can check out Mr. Husong's... Uh, I don't know if you guys have... I'm sure you haven't, no, because I didn't tell anybody. But our website is now live, so you can check us out there. Um, I'll post that in the chat here in a second um we're gonna have we're gonna have blog posts uh we mr husong has wrote his first blog blog post and we're going to go over some of that right now um Sounds why don't good. you start why don't you start with the overall uh general sense of the uh post and we'll i'll follow up all right so in essence uh for those of you that don't know about a week ago governor cuomo was asked on cnn shockingly not being interviewed by his brother for once, but by somebody else, about the specifically Governor DeSantis down in Florida. He made a comment that uh, the Florida rule early on requiring travelers from the New York City area to quarantine for 14 days saved lives. That was his comment. The, uh, the reporter on CNN, whose name I'm blanking on right now, asked Governor Cuomo about it, and his response was, look at the numbers. You played politics with this virus, and you lost. So I'm not claiming to be the smartest man in the world, but I looked at that and thought, if that's losing, what the hell did we do in New York? Because it certainly wasn't winning. All right, let's, let's just call that what it is right now. Yes, I know there are an uptick in cases in Florida and Texas and Arizona, and there's also a pretty good uptick in California, though you don't hear about that one quite as often, but it's in the mix too. And I think some of this was expected. I, I want to revisit the idea of flatten the curve was never about people aren't going to get sick. They're not going to get the virus. Flatten the curve was the same number of people are going to get sick, but you spread it out over time so that you don't overwhelm the healthcare system. We have not overwhelmed the healthcare system. We did not get close to overwhelming the healthcare system anywhere. And ultimately, the idea that you can spread this out all the way to until there's a vaccine is ludicrous. You can't keep shutting down the economy and ruining people's lives in hopes of a vaccine. I and mean, we have a flu vaccine. People still die from it. it. It's not this magic cure that will solve all the world's problems. So even now, if you look at the numbers out of Florida, you look at the numbers out of Arizona, Texas, they're not overwhelming the healthcare system. Florida, in particular, isn't even trending in the direction of overwhelming the healthcare system. Arizona, things are, I would say, concerning, but not dire. And the same in Texas, overall statewide. So I started breaking that down a little bit and going into, for New York at least, I don't have a better way of saying this, so I'm sorry. Where does our governor get the balls to lecture anybody else about COVID response? He's taking victory laps right now. Oh, my God. He thinks that he is, you know, I heard him today basically saying, we stand ready to help any state that's looking for our help. And I'm like, who's going to come knocking on your door? Right. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe they learned a lot through trial by fire and, you know, they made some bad mistakes and corrected them. Oof. We all saw them in real time. So most of the states already did that or didn't even execute the poor policies that were executed here in this state. So, Right. This is what we covered last time. The, the, yeah. biggest, the biggest failure of this administration was the nursing home executive order. 
It was issued on March 25th. All right, so you want to say, but in March, we didn't know. Uh, we were we were afraid the healthcare system was going to get overwhelmed. We were worried about this, that, and the other. All right, fine. It didn't get rescinded until May 10th. I'm sorry, but if you're claiming we still didn't know at some point in April that this was a terrible idea, you're being disingenuous. Yeah. I, and to your point, actually, he altered his order April 29th, basically saying, okay, if the facility is unprepared to handle these patients, they can reject them. So he was aware that there was a problem. Of course he was. And he didn't rescind it. He just altered it to basically say, okay, you can do it unless you can prove me that you can't. And then you still got to do it until yeah. you can prove me that you can't. So he didn't rescind that order again, like you said, until May 10th. So he knew there was a problem and still ran with it for another two weeks ish. So. They didn't even track nursing home deaths until April 16th. All of a sudden he fired off. Well, not him, but one of the, one of his staff, uh, in the health department fired out an email to every nursing homeowner in New York state and said, you are having a mandatory conference call, zoom meeting, whatever in 45 minutes. And in essence, if you're not there, you're in trouble. So they had 45 minutes and then they said, we want to track all your numbers. We want to know how many people are dying, how many things. All right. So you've had this rule in effect at that point from three weeks and nobody in your entire administration thought, Hey, I wonder how this is working. Yeah. It's they, insane. They, it's almost like they didn't want to know that how it was working. Right. So then they do that, and they decide that they're going to count COVID deaths in nursing homes uh, differently than any other state I have been able to find doing it this I, way. Every, every single reporter I have seen has said the same thing, that New York counts them differently than every all of the 49 states. Right. Which is to say, if you're in a nursing home and you contract COVID-19, you get sick, they send you over to the hospital, and you die at the hospital. That, for some reason, does not count as a COVID-19 nursing home death. Even though you lived there, that's where you got it. That's where you got sick. But you died in the hospital, so it doesn't count. Yeah, this and we're the only state doing that. faulty data. So clearly, the number is significantly higher. Of course it is. Um, maybe by, you know, upwards of 50% right. higher. The um, national average is about 43%, and that's even including the states that took the time to protect the nursing homes. The states that didn't protect the nursing homes, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, that had these similar orders, their numbers are closer to 70% of their deaths are nursing home related. So we're not going to know the answer to this for a long time, but it's unfathomable that this man is going around blaming everybody else under the sun and claiming victory when we still have more people dying here from the virus than they do have in Florida. We have a higher death per million than any of these other states by a factor of 10. Yeah, and he just doubled down on that by basically, you know, making travelers to some of these higher case or increasing case states to self-quarantine for 14 days coming from these states back to New York. Right. Um, so he's, again, in a sense, you know, shifting blame to these other states thinking that, they're somehow going to, you know, recontaminate New York when it seems as though upwards of maybe 60% of the cases in New York were, again, in nursing home facilities. So, um, you if know, not, heard, it's a heck of a coincidence. Sure. And he, again, you know, today in his press conference, he was blaming travel from Europe. He had 3 million travelers to Europe. He said, okay, well, they all didn't land in the parking lots of nursing homes and start getting out and, you know, kissing grandma. So, they also uh, all didn't land in New York City. Sure. And Most, his, sure. His, his assertion is that the federal government didn't do what they were supposed to do because they only blocked travel from China and not they blocked Europe travel too late. So and either obviously, way, early on, Andrew Cuomo was a big proponent of all travel bans. Yeah, no. He was on it from day one, folks. Right. Don't no. forget that. Um, and so he's he's restricted this travel. He's now threatening reopening of schools in the fall. Um, I seen the was it the American Academy of Pediatrics basically came out and said, we need to open schools. Um, so kind of flying in the face of not opening schools as, as a, as a possibility that I'm not sure where the governor's thinking that he says he's going to open schools, but has left that as a potential outcome of not, um, based on data at the time, which is seemingly crazy. Um, one, I guess, so one bit of good news is that the governor lost a, uh, part of his order was the limitation or the restriction of uh, gathering size limits for religious gatherings, um, specifically that were different than any secular event that was going on. He lost that case and basically allowed, or the judge, um, 
rescinded that and basically said, you know, religious gatherings should be not in any way separate from any other public gathering and therefore removed uh, Cuomo's order on them anyway, um, or put an injunction on that, on that order. So some good news there, hopefully that leads to more pushback, uh, because everybody who has seemingly pushed back on the governor so far has won. Uh, I'll, I'll point to the New York Dental Association. Um, and I hope that the schools follow suit and push him to open in the fall. Um, but he's clearly, to me, trying to throw out a bunch of information that would, again, distract from the idea that we did it wrong from the beginning um, and that we should be a model to look at and learn from, but not to emulate. I mean, it's hard to fathom that many things getting it wrong. How Even the, the tough calls, I, I understand that you've got to prioritize the shortage of PPE equipment that you have. Who gets it? You've got to make the call. Do you send it to the nursing homes? Do you send it to the hospitals? You don't know. You don't have a good answer. Even the tough calls, he got wrong. You'd think just on luck, you'd get one or two right. You would have done a few things. But, look, I, you can explain a lot of this stuff with population density, maybe, you can explain that it was early on and New York was the first part. New York City is an epicenter of travel. I will give you all of that. It would account for them being 10% to 20% worse than all the other states or at least than the, the really bad states. But the simple reality is it's not. They're 10 times worse than the other states. Something else went wrong. And, and if you're not looking to see what it was – then I, I don't know what to tell you. It's just you're choosing not to look at the data because you've decided Cuomo did great and he's reassuring and brings you calm. That's fine. Look, these people died and they didn't have to. Now, I don't think people are seeing that data that you we're talking about. Um, you know, if just only there was an through. industry whose job it was to ask questions <laughs> of government officials and bring this light to the public and question the government motives. God, what an amazing yeah. industry that would be. Yeah, we, lo we lost that a long time ago. The internal, Anyways, let's go back to the point about religious gatherings. Okay, yes. I do agree with this rule. I think it was the right call. Uh, simply put, we do have in the Bill of Rights that you cannot uh, infringe on someone's uh, religious rights. They have the ability to gather for their religious purposes. Early on, you're allowed to infringe on it, but it's a very high standard you have to meet as a government agency to infringe on someone's religious rights in this country. Now, early on, the government could make a very valid claim that we needed to social distance, we needed to spread people out, we couldn't allow a congregation or a gathering because it posed a public health risk to everybody else, and therefore the government was going to treat religious organizations the same as everybody else and say, you can't gather, you need to spread out, otherwise we're going to have more people die. Okay, that met the standard, actually. Once you started saying that the protests are okay and you have mass gatherings that are okay it's not it's an acceptable risk now you've lost the footing that this is a requirement for public safety if you can allow a thousand people to gather in a park i'm gonna have a hard time understanding why you can't allow 50 people to gather in a church absolutely it, it that's where you lose the case right there is and this is what some of us thought was going to happen all along was look at some point you're going to slip. It's an inevitability. It delayed it as long as he could, but this is not going to go well. And this, I think it is the right call. I, I mean, if yeah. you don't want to go to church, don't go. And I, like I said, I hope this just is just part of, you know, the opening of the floodgates. You know, other organizations should be able to, you know, assess their situations and move forward with, you know, assessing their risk and safety of their you know, anybody involved with there. So if it's a religious gathering, those institutions and the attendees of those institutions, you're able to figure this out on their own. Um, you know, if there's people who are at risk, uh, they should, you know, most likely stay at home or be the most precautious. Um, if, if not, then they should be able to, again, you know, act as adults, interact as adults and, you know, suffer the consequences as adults as well. But they should be able to to move about, especially within their their, their own religious institutions. So, right. hopefully, some of these regions um, see this judge's ruling, use it uh, to their advantage as a little bit of leverage, and say, "Hey, you know, we're going to push back on this if you don't start relaxing some of this stuff." Because I think he will, or he's going to continue to lose in court. I think that yes, I, I I agree with everything you're saying, and I I think the biggest problem that we have is a populace right now of of the people that are still looking at let's go to schools. 
you're using information that we had in March, not what we know about this virus in June. And this is where the idea that you would leave schools closed in the fall, it makes no sense because this, the threat to children, those under the age of 14 and even those under 18, the threat posed by the coronavirus of death is less than what the seasonal flu is. More, chil- more children will die of the flu than will die of coronavirus. So if we don't shut the schools down every year for the flu, why would we shut them down for the coronavirus? Okay, fine. Teachers, other people, it's a breeding ground. Kids are gross. I have four of them. I know they spread germs like anything. I understand that. But there's ways around that. There, there's other options that you have there. And again, this is the idea of put, this, put them online, but let the kids who want to show up, show up. If a teacher doesn't feel comfortable going in, okay, well, then let's talk about what we can do with that as far as a buyout and early retirement or figuring out a way to properly protect that teacher. The one uh, idea that I've heard that I think would be the bare minimum of what you should do is opening elementary schools in the fall, but doing remote learning for the middle school and high schools. Yeah, I'm I'm for increased remote learning in general. I think it's... Because you don't have young kids. Uh, maybe I'm <laughs> um, that factors in, I guess, but I mean, I see the, there's a, and maybe to your point, the middle school and, and, you know, the kids that have more awareness, I guess, um, you would like to think and more responsibility, or at least again, uh, aware that they need to focus on certain things. Whereas maybe a six, seven, eight, ten 10 year old is still going to have their moments of, uh, where I've been, where I just wanted to play or whatever. So or just be disruptive. I was going to say where um, you are now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm for increased remote schooling. Um, I don't think it should be mandated by any means. Um, but if they can work that in and that creates a safer environment for certain people, then have at it. So here's the bigger problem, or why I think this idea makes sense. Here's my issue as a parent with children in elementary school. I work. My wife works. We both have full-time jobs and then other things on top of it that require our attention during the day. If, I'm, if my children are not at school every day, how am I supposed to continue doing my job? Now, in our situation, we're both very flexible with our hours. We both are – we can work from home when we need to. Not everybody has that position. So basically, if you're not going to let your elementary school kids go into schools, one of their parents is going to have to either – quit their job, or go down a part-time. Now you're making an economic impact for the worse on this child's life. And again, I go back to, for what protection? This is not a big threat to the children themselves. It's yeah. just not. So you're asking for this. Now, at least with high schoolers and maybe middle schoolers, I don't know, they could stay home alone. It's, it would be a far easy, I'd be far more comfortable with my 15-year-old son that right. I don't have yet staying home alone than I would be with my seven-year-old, my twin nine-year-olds, and my 11-year-old. Uh, one of those is a recipe for disaster. And, and I, it's the twins. One of them is going to get me CPS called on me, and rightly so. If I left all those kids home alone for six hours during the workday, CPS showed up, what would I say back? Like, and to work. It's, like, it's cool. They had remote learning going on. Right. Right. And then if you put it all online for the remote learning, great. If you're uncomfortable with your kid going to school, let them stay home and let them learn that way. But I do think one of the big advantages of school and why I am ultimately sort of opposed to the remote learning side is kids go to school to learn their education. Yes, you also learn social skills. You also learn interpersonal skills and how to get along with other people. Those things are hugely important. And it's one of the benefits of going to a school with other kids is you learn it. You don't get that at home. For sure. Oh, no, no doubt. Um, it's I, I've heard that from other parents who had to go through this in the, you know, in the spring, basically saying, all the things that you point out with just the scheduling craziness that would require that or did require them in the spring to actually do that, you know, and, and there were most of their jobs went away. So it became somewhat easier, but I don't know that that's going to happen in the fall. If they go, if you're right, if they take away school, then there's a whole just logistic problem on top mm-hmm. of the actual health problem. Um, and again, as you point out, economic problems. So right. um, yeah, I, I, I assume schools open, there would have to be some, I, I assume catastrophic swing in data um, to, to make that not happen. Which could happen, but sure. I'm going to go back to the statement because I keep using the sentence, the evidence does not indicate that at this point. No. That's the problem that right. I have. Um, Mind-boggling. Yeah. No, like I said, it's and I, I know now that 
you know, cases is in every headline. Um, we went through this here in New York before everybody else did where cases was the headline. Um, as you pointed out, flattening the curve had nothing to do with cases. The cases were going to stay constant in all those formulas. Cases or increased cases, even a significant increase of cases is good news unless there is a correlating rise in hospitalizations and deaths to go along with that increase. Mm-hmm. Increased cases to me, call me whatever you want, seems like we're building up herd immunity. Um, on that point, I saw the CDC just report that they thought that there's 2.4 million people right now are infected or have been infected with the virus. They think that number's 10 times higher. So 24 million people may have already been infected with this virus. And we're complaining about a rise in 36,000 in a day. I mean, like, what are we doing? 24 million and 36,000 doesn't seem to move the meter that much if we're already at 24 million. So most of this data coming out makes me think that the disease or the virus is not as deadly, first of all, as we all thought to begin with. It's not as devastating for our hospitals as we all had thought to begin with in large part because I think we got such a late start on this thing that the data was coming in so bad because we were, again, three laps behind of where we should have been starting from. So if this thing was, and I saw it was in Spanish wastewater in March of 2019, I I mean, like, what are we doing here? This thing's been on the planet for over a year at least. And of course, there's going to be 24 million people who have it if it was especially if we're walking around with no symptoms, right? So these massive amounts of asymptomatic people spreading it to other asymptomatic people who never go to the hospital, who never have any kind of interruption in their life whatsoever, maybe other than staying home or a sniffle or two, and they just keep passing it on with no ramifications or negative ramifications that are doing anything. So now we're at 24 million people, hypothetically, through the CDC. We're we're moving towards herd immunity faster than anybody even possibly. We'll probably get there before a vaccine is done. I think that should be the goal, not because I want everybody to get sick, but because I think it is a more realistic end game to how we get out of this, which is if you are younger, healthier, this virus poses a minimal mortality threat to you. So if we can protect our older people and our sicker people with quarantines and distancing and everything else, but allow the younger, healthier people to go out about their lives, you're going to get a better net result. The reality is perfect is never going to be an option when a virus is involved. It's not. You are going to have people get sick. You are going to have people die. The sick part of this, the morose part of this is you have to decide on how do we control that number so the fewest number of people die while accepting some people are going to die. It's going to happen. As soon as that virus was in America, and listen, I saw the same stuff. There was cases back in January. Cases, cases in March. It, we thought it came in March, but January and February. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of West Coast, you know, things that have, have it back in November, September. But this was, again, Spanish wastewater from March of 2019. Right. So that's, you know, 15 months ago. And knowing how contagious this virus is, which it does appear it is yeah, exceedingly contagious. contagious. There was no way you were ever going to stop that number of spread. Yeah, right. But what we did. Well, we tried to. I mean, we tried. It, listen, it, we're going to look back on this for years and wonder what we did and whether it was worth it. I. What I would encourage everybody to look at is everything that we assume is correct right now, we don't actually know. We have no idea if shutting down the economy resulted in suppressing the virus. We don't know if it had a material impact. We don't know that masks have a material impact. And even the CDC guidance doesn't say masks are good and will prevent it. It says some people are asymptomatic. There are studies that show pre-symptomatic people spread can spread the disease and that masks may be helpful in suppressing the transmission of droplets. If they were definitively effective, if we knew that for sure, why wouldn't the guidance just say you should wear a mask anytime you're in public because we know that asymptomatic people can spread the disease and wearing a face covering of any type will help prevent that spread. Yeah, Wouldn't no. that be an easier way to word it? Yeah, I mean, the, the mask thing has clearly become some kind of badge, um, Unfortunately, it's like a rallying cry for each I guess, side. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm disturbed by the whole thing, I guess, because it just, as somebody who walks on the outside of the left, right, Democrat, Republican political spectrum, I could see it turning political months ago, and I was just laughing because I could, and 
personally, anecdotally, even within my party, which is the Libertarian Party, there's a, a left and a right leaning factions of those. And again, even within our party, it was split. The left were the masks and the right were the not. So like whatever's happening, wherever people are getting their news from is clearly, you know, they're living in that world. They're living in that universe of, of whatever media they're getting. Um, I try to legitimately try to look at everything I can, even if it makes me cringe while I'm listening to it. Um, just so I better have a better understanding of what I think I'm up against, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not a proponent of wearing the masks. I think the masks in general probably help stop droplets, but I think our general premise of this whole episode at least has been how deadly are the droplets? How destructive are the droplets? Do like, what's the risk of the droplets? If I get the droplets and I get sick, will I even know? I'll take it a step further. I, I, I am not anti-mask nor pro-mask. I am everybody make your own decision and go on about your life. So I do think that, Look, if I'm in close quarters with somebody, I'll put a mask on if they have a mask on because I feel like, all right, well, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a jerk. Like, fine. If there's, ah. if there's a concern, let's go with that. I think that there's an assumption right now that is misplaced of once the droplet goes in the air and it hits somebody else, you're going to get sick. That's not what the studies actually say. The vast majority of transmissions have occurred through prolonged contact with somebody that has the disease. So this is where we talk about shutting down everything and everybody staying at home. Well, if somebody got it, now they're going to spread it to the four people they live with because you are trapped inside your home with this person for continuous contact. Is that necessarily true? No, but the evidence is pointing that it's a possibility. So I think that the idea of wearing a face covering is, all right, what are the odds of me walking by you in a Home Depot and coughing or talking loud enough that a droplet then hits you on your arm, on your face, whatever else, and then works its way inside your body versus what are the risks of I have it, I touch something, you come around immediately afterward and touch something, and then you pull your mask down, touching your face in the process, and now it gets inside of you. So the question is, everything has a cost, and I think this is the problem as soon as a conversation becomes a political divide. You don't want to acknowledge that there's a cost. There were substantial costs to the shutdown, to the stay-at-home orders, to everything that we did in response to this virus. Suicides, if it's worth it, you could say it's not, but to not acknowledge that there is a cost and immediately paint anybody that opposes your view, I think it's just dangerous. There's no good that will come from it, and instead it's you have to make the decision. It's that simple. Yeah, right. Like I said, I, that's where I'm at, I, you know. If, if you think you need to take precaution, take the precaution. If you're sick, you think you're sick, stay home. Um, if you have to go out and you're sick, again, do whatever you have to do to safeguard yourself and everybody you're surrounding with. Other than that, I don't know that the masks are all that beneficial or necessary. Um, like I said, if you're in close quarters with somebody who has it or you're going to be in close quarters, then you should wear a freaking mask. But, like, if you're out at the park or running, like, I see people jogging all the time with masks on. I just don't understand... What has gotten, where do they get to the point where, like, I definitely got to keep this on while I'm running? Like, where, where did that, where did that, how did that hash out? I don't know. But. Me neither. I think there's, there's a few things. Number one, if you post something on social media that's a picture of, like, your percentages of the transmission by going back and forth. Number one, it's not based in science whatsoever. It's just an illustration and an oversimplification. Number two, if you're going to rely on a model that shows mass prevented this many deaths, please don't do it. It's also not scientific. There are so many assumptions in there built into the scenario that you cannot claim this is science. What we have is there was a study done in March about coronaviruses in general, not specific to COVID-19, but about coronaviruses that concluded masks have no impact on transmission. There is no help whatsoever. We don't talk about that study anymore, and we like to think that the COVID-19 coronavirus is different from all the other coronaviruses for some reason, which I'm still not sure about. But I don't think that study is it means that this, the discussion is over. I think it is one piece of evidence that points in the direction of masks are not a good idea. In order for you to actually be protected from a coronavirus, you need to be wearing an N95 medical mask, which you have to get trained on just how to put the thing on properly. You're telling me that the, if I put a shirt over my mouth, that's going to somehow protect somebody else or me. Or me. Like, that doesn't hold up to me. I, I can't fathom how we got to that point 
And then my favorite is that, well, if you peed without wearing pants, you'd get somebody else wet. But if you wear them on, you just get yourself wet. <laughs> okay, well, now we're talking science. Thank God. Because that gets into the data trans, or excuse me, the transmission of droplets and how it enters your body. And like I said, right, to me, the numbers keep showing that the droplets aren't that, again, they're not that destructive. Like, so what are we protecting ourselves against? It seems as though the whole thing has, was an overshoot and we're still kind of unwinding from it. Um, the go our governor specifically will not let go. Um, maybe you saw the, I don't know if you saw the meme that was floating around for a while. It was like year 2022, you know, we've just reached phase 144. Social distancing is increased to five, five feet, feet, three inches. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. So I, again, I, I don't know how this is going to play out in the months going forward. Um, Nobody the does. Dad, no, and the data seems to be going in the right direction for everybody unless you have some preconceived, you know, wish, wished outcome that you were, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, it seems that there's people who are just wishing for the worst case scenario when all the data seems to be showing us that we're, we're actually moving in the right direction. Specifically to New York, there's two things. One is this quarantine that he's going to try to enforce against people from Florida and everywhere else. Uh you have to appreciate the irony, at least, because back when Rhode Island tried to institute a rule against New Yorkers and Florida and some other states, Cuomo tried to sue them. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. I, this is unfathomable. Okay, so now it's okay to quarantine people now that it's not your state. All right, fair enough. The other thing that I, I don't think Cuomo gets called out on enough, excuse me, Governor Cuomo gets called out on enough is – the last-minute changes to the phase reopenings. This is maddening. We're hitting phase four. Everybody's going to do this, this, and this. And then the day before, two days before, oh, nope, not gyms. No gyms. Yeah, can't. I, I mean, I, I know several gym owners, and there were, you know, they just had to cancel. They just had to cancel. They had a bunch of uh, sessions lined up, you know, they, uh, whatever. They had done, they had been preparing for this day. And then, again, as you were told, blindsided, last minute. And it's not just the changes. It's the no guidance leading up to the last minute changes, right? No so like it's ahead of right. Time. There's nothing going on. Nobody knows what's happening. And all of a sudden they decide to flip a switch and, you know, make a U-turn and go some other way, leaving all the business owners basically scrambling to catch up. So yeah, it's been uneven in every single phase. I don't expect it to be better going forward. I, I, I thought there were only four phases, but here we are and everything's not open. So I don't know what happens next. If there's another phase or phase 4.2. Yeah. Something paragraph so, B. Um, it's awful for these people that own these right, businesses right. and rely no. on them. And to, to come in, all right, fine, we've got to make this change. What was the data that came in in the last 48 hours that led you to make this change? Yeah. There's and not. It would, it, would be, it would be nice if the regional re, you know, got that information, right? If there was such information out there and they say, right. hey, we got this information, we changed our strategy because of it, here it is. At least you could do that, but that doesn't seem to be happening. When I'm talking to people, there is no communication from the governor's office to any of these regional leaders. They're they're getting the information real time, just like we are. So, um, which is crazy to me. It's I don't envy the position no that the governor is in. I re, I truly do not. It's a very tough position to be in for a lot of different reasons. We also have to be objective and honest about what the results have been. New York State has 25% of all of the United States COVID-19 deaths. At some point, we have to acknowledge things went wrong. For sure. I, they did, and we should have done it differently. And if we can, I, I have yet to hear Governor, Governor Cuomo come out and just say that order, we were focused on, on not overwhelming the healthcare system. We put it into, we didn't think about the nursing homes enough, and we got it wrong. We can never apologize enough. And that, listen, I don't think he'll ever do that for obvious reasons, but it would go a long way to just acknowledge the reality. That was wrong. Yeah, no, he'll never. I mean, if he admits it, it's only going to be in a backdrop of, you know, the blame game that goes around behind it. So, which is, he's clearly in full blame game mode now. So, so for the people at home, if you get a chance, read the article that we put up on the blog. It Hopefully it'll be up today. It's getting into it that, He's gonna. He assigned uh, Letitia James, the state attorney general, to investigate the nursing home owners who have this massive outbreak of coronaviruses, and then come to the conclusion about any culpability. So I don't suppose that the attorney general, who relies on Governor Cuomo for her job and her position, 
is going to come to the conclusion that Governor Cuomo bears some, if not most, of the responsibility for this happening. So instead, it's going to be that the nursing homes failed to adequately provide PPE and they didn't properly protect their residents. All right, that's corrupt enough, but here's the really sad part. <laughs> the people who lost a loved one, they have, no, uh, they have no way to seek justice because in March, Governor Cuomo put into a budget that all nursing home executives and the nursing homes themselves are shielded from liability during the corona pandemic. Yeah, did did you check out the donations to his campaign from those people? It might be in the blog post. <laughs> and that may um, have been a part of the article. Okay, good. About what and listen, everything is sourced in there. You can go to the articles, you can go to everything else. It's there. It's not it's not really an opinion piece. The conclusions obviously are my own. Everything else is just, look, all of this data is here. And if you're thinking, the analogy I used over the weekend for New York State taking a victory lap right now is it's the equivalent of you are playing football and you got beat 49 to 7 in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, you scored 14 and they scored 7 and you're claiming a win. Like the game is not over. You're still getting crushed. What in the world are you doing with this victory lap? I, it makes no sense yeah. because the numbers are still bad. If you think that Florida, Texas, Arizona are ever going to hit New York State level numbers, I got to tell you, the evidence does not support that conclusion because things would not only have to stay as bad as they are right now, they'd have to get substantially worse for any state to catch us. That's a problem. We should all be upset about that. We should not have an 80% approval rating for the person who was in charge during this outcome. Yeah. Which again, I, to me, that just goes to the, the disc, there's a huge disconnect there. So, um, I, I don't know where it's all going to go. I don't know where we're going to be at next week. Um, hopefully we are a freer people next week than we are this week. Um, at least here in the state of New York, uh, as we, you know, navigate our way through this craziness um mr husong anything else you'd like to leave anybody with before we uh I'll, I'll, i shared the link to the website so the blog post will probably be up here later today if not tomorrow at the latest um anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we uh head out of here everybody just be kind to each other we're all trying to get through this the best we can be nice yeah. patience patience is helpful um everybody's learning stuff themselves on the fly just like everybody else so i'm with you be patient be nice we all um, want the same outcome. We just disagree on how to get there. Exactly so a disagreement right. on how to get there does not mean that somebody is evil or stupid. It's just a disagreement. All right. Well, Mr. Husong, on that note, I think I'm going to wrap it up. We'll see everybody next week. Uh, have a happy 4th of July. I think that's what, Saturday, right? Fourth happy Treason Day. Yeah, yeah. Independence Day. <laughs> all right, folks. Have a good night. <laughs>